but there's this big piece of legacy with the death benefit. Yep. And knowing I have a death benefit means, hey, like I could actually stop utilizing banks in the future. You know, yep. if you factor in um, the cost of just other fees, now you're looking at an alternative account that needs to earn six, seven, eight percent every single year to keep up with the boring old life insurance. And that's just Garrett, that's just one benefit. I was watching Breaking Bad and I thought that whole show happened because Walt didn't have life insurance. This is Better Wealth with Caleb Williams. All right, guys, we're in Wealth Labs. I'm here with Greg Gunderson, and we're going to talk about life insurance because that's what subscribers like to listen to or Man, watch. That's why I started. <laughs> 1998. Got my, I was a field representative for Guardian Life. I, I actually sold variable whole life at first. Variable whole life. I didn't even know that's a thing. <laughs> Dude. I mean, and then this guy from New York that was like, he was bald but had a ponytail, right? Yeah. So he just had the side hair and the, and he came in and spoke in Salt Lake. And dude, I almost threw up, man, when he was like, let me show you the whole life numbers versus variable whole life coming out of the 90s. Yep. And they were so close. And he's like, that's the 90s. Yep. He's like, why would you ever put people at risk? And I was like, but you could convert it. And I converted all my clients to just regular whole life. Yep. So what I want to do is I, you, you have very you're very articulate when it comes to like why you do things, value creation. We, we just talked about your new money, uh, your new book coming out called money on mass later this year. Love Are we allowed to talk about that on video? Because people shit all over me for mentioning the book on a video before, you know, like Yo, you're just trying to sell your books. I'm like, yeah, it's really, I can say it though. <laughs> it's making me so much money selling books on YouTube. Dude. Yeah, yeah. I love it. So the, so all, all that to say, you have a lot of different mindsets around money. Life insurance, though, is something that is not super fun to talk about. Like, it's not it's not a topic that uh, people like will get you super popular. But we're in this niche on YouTube where there's people that understand infinite banking. Some people call it you call it cash flow banking. I call it the and asset. And it's like this concept of using life insurance not as the it, not as like the end result, not as this is going to save your marriage. This is going to create cash flow, but as the foundation to say hey, this is where we're going to store capital. This is where we're going to fund certain things. So how do you talk about life insurance and where was your epiphany? I mean, you you talked about the bald guy with the ponytail, which I, you know, shout out to, I don't know if we're allowed to say his name, but- um, It was like a general agent out of New York for one of the guardian agencies. Right. Ridiculously smart, scared the shit out of me. Right. From there, what was like, what are some of the things that you're like takeaways and like where you are now in, in 2023 with like where- where life insurance plays a role with someone's life. Look, I started a policy when I was 19 years old because that's when I started in the financial business at 19. I had a $50 a month whole life policy. I wasn't overfunding it. It was just a base premium. Then I set up a second one shortly after, which was I bought an Acura, which if you, because it was like the new Acuras were out and the old ones on the lot, they yeah. did this deal where you could lease it for $262 less of a payment than a purchase. Wow. So I leased it, put $262 a month in an insurance, wow. mostly overfunded, and then 39 months later, I used the cash value to buy out the lease. And now, instead of having a 60-month loan, I had it all paid off in 39 months. And you could fully write off a lease. So I was like, this is a really cool situation. And then when 
everything happened in 2008, like I had a lot of real estate, but my whole life was instrumental yeah. to get me to the other side so I didn't ever have to declare bankruptcy, which so many of my friends declared bankruptcy. Yeah. They were over leveraged in real estate. Then the next time, you know, there was chaos in 2020 or whatever. Yeah. It's like, I just don't lose any sleep. It's there. It's not failing me. I can tap into it. Yeah. I bought a business in 2014 with it. I bought real estate with it in the, you know, I, I finished out a fourplex that went bankrupt in the development phase and I just was able to pay cash for my cash value. Yeah. Um, I've paid off a higher interest rate American Express that I used to help launch my first book. Um, you know, I, I, I used it for, I don't know, so many things over the years, but I also had a long period of time where I never tapped into it because my business was going well. Yeah. There wasn't any investments that were attractive and it just didn't have to think about it. It yeah. was beating any savings account or money market or CD. It was losing out to maybe the stock market for a few of those yeah. years, which I didn't care right. because I care about my companies, not these companies right. that and I know not nothing about. That's the thing. Right. It was, I always look at it as like my medium term storage yep. and short to medium term yep. because I want to have at least six months of capital I could access outside of that policy. Yep. So some of that capital is just my checking accounts. It's cash in a safe, you know, it's, it's a gold and, you know, silver, it's just basic stuff. And even I'll count like a small percentage of my crypto. Like I've got enough liquidity through that. And then I could always tap in after six months to my cash values. Yeah. I could tap into it earlier, but there is one provision in the policies that say in certain catastrophic times that yep. they could take six months to get you your money. Yep. So I'm like, cool. I just, you know, safe, safe, safe kind of philosophy there. But what I really like is not only do I have some tax advantages, I also have these benefits like accelerated benefit riders on yeah. death benefits. So I don't buy long-term care. I'm just could use my death benefit. If I become disabled, they'll make the premium payments for me through waiver premium. I like those, those factors cause it's extra benefits. It's FIFO. I can take my cash out that I put in first before having to take out my interest. So there's a tax advantage. I could borrow against the cash value, um, at preferred rates with the insurance companies pay that back on yeah. my own terms, doesn't impact my credit. Um, I like all of that, but there's this big piece of legacy with the death benefit. Yeah. And knowing I have a death benefit means, hey, like I could actually stop utilizing banks in the future for my family because we could just have our own bank from the death benefits that come in and within a trust and within our cash values that we could finance everything. So whatever's happening in interest rates, we're like, inflation's high, let's just gouge everybody with interest. It's like, cool, well, I could just take withdraws from a policy if I want. Because that's one argument people will give on, on YouTube sometimes is like, why would you borrow from yourself, you idiot? I'm like, well, first off, my money's still in the account earning interest yeah. or dividends. Yeah. And it's this collateral that I then get and pay yeah. a similar interest. That's not borrowing, it's using collateral. It's just, you yeah. do it with brokerage accounts too. Yeah. Second, I can take, I can take the money out. Yeah, if you wanted. I yes. can just withdraw. The reason I don't yes. is because I want to continue to be able to put that money back in and using yeah. it over and over again. And I don't want to lose the benefit of the tax container that, that, that's there for me. Yeah, that's, I was going to, you just beat me to it. The number one, one of the number one things we'll get on YouTube is like, why would you borrow to use your own money? And just if we break down language, you're not borrowing your money, your money's in your policy, you're borrowing against it. So that's that's one element. And then number two is you don't have to borrow if you don't want to. But number three is it's not just the 
arbitrage because they're really, if we're being honest, you're not getting arbitrage with what you're internally making versus the cost of borrowing. But if you look at the, what- Give them more detail on arbitrage there. So what I mean by that is, let's say the internal rate of return, the actual growth rate of what you're making. after expenses. Yeah, like after commissions and all that stuff, it could be like a three and a half to 4% internal rate of return. Meaning each and every year, your your cash value is growing at a 4% rate of return. It might cost you, 5%. 5%. So a common question would be, why would I borrow at five when my policies only earning four, which is valid. Here's here. Let's unpack this. And I actually cool. would love to unpack this with you. Number one is that's a 4%, but it's not an apples to apples comparison to other accounts. So it's a tax free 4%. Mm-hmm. Number two is there's so many other benefits to life insurance. The death like benefit. right now, right now, let's give an example of capital depreciation being protected because we earlier right. today went through these articles where they're saying don't invest in bonds because interest rates could rise and lower the value of the bond. You don't have that risk in insurance. Once the dividend's paid, it's guaranteed. Yep. So if bond rates, you know, devalue because interest rates increase, you still have your full amount available, and that decrease in bond value doesn't decrease right. your cash value even though it operates in a similar way of fixed income. Well, and, and I'm looking at just like, let's just say 4% is what you earn in your policy. If you factor in taxes, if you factor in the cost of buying term insurance, because That's another you, one. You know, yeah. if you factor in um, the cost of just other fees, now you're looking at an alternative account that needs to earn six, seven, eight percent every single year to keep up with the boring old life insurance. And that's just Garrett, that's just one benefit. It, where I had the epiphany was like, oh, life insurance, you talked about chronic illness riders, the death benefit gives you other options in the future. We we just, we reacted and read this like crazy articles on retirement planning. Life insurance in the future, if you want to do the traditional retirement plan, will give you more options right. and potentially higher cash flow. The point I'm making is it gives you multi-dimensional aspects. It gives your dollars more than one job. And for me, that's why I would borrow against it. It's worth more to my portfolio than 5%. And and let's think, like, this is the insane narrative. Hey, Caleb, you should buy term and invest the difference. Okay. And then, if you're really good at investing or growing a business, and 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the road, you've earned enough wealth, created enough wealth, you don't have a state tax problem. Yeah. So now you're 60, 70, 75 years old. And now what's your attorney going to tell you to do? Go buy life insurance to handle the taxes at a time where your health might not be as good. The premium is going to be much higher. Yeah. And so when I already have a death benefit in those future years, when they're like, oh, you're going to need this. I'm like, I already have it. Don't have to go pay extra money for it. Or there's a lot of really cool strategies around charitable giving yep. it could be very efficient from a tax perspective benefit the charity cut out the government you know and the government has approved yep. all of that if you have a death benefit it means that you could give your money away to the charity yep spend more because of the charitable trust allows you to take money during your lifetime and when you die the death benefit goes to your heirs or your bank so that your family's not born back into bondage but what about these people that say well i don't want to leave any money to any of my heirs because i want to spoil them i get that so you want them to go back into a system that's rigged against them, like banking, like Wall Street, because you don't want to spoil them. Well, you're going to then, why not just teach them? Why not yeah. educate them along the way? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that's super well said. You know, so I get like Wall Street had this narrative, which was like, ah, oh, 
insurance is stupid. It's boring. Yeah. Why would you want to do that? You want to do this cool stuff over here. Yeah. You know, like, and that Wall Street's also the one that when the movie came out, Wall Street, it was about fraud, 400% increase in broker applications yeah. the next year. Like, it, it was the private planes and the yeah. strippers and hookers and coke. And it's like, it's this, yeah. yet we, we think of it being that dirty and yet people still trust their money there. Yeah. Like, I, I like that this is predictable. Right. That it's viewed as boring to a certain degree because yeah. it doesn't need to be my most exciting asset. It just right. needs to be that foundational piece that you mentioned that I can count on, that isn't going to drag me into scarcity, that when the market's down and when the opportunities are there, I have capital capitalized where everybody else is going, well, I don't want to liquidate now because it's a guaranteed loss. And that, you know, we're, we're in 2023 as we record this, we're going to see so much turmoil that people with cash are going to be able to capitalize yep. on yeah you know people with cash that aren't sitting there going like oh it's so hard to get a loan and it's yep. so expensive it's like no if you can just get that money quickly there's going to be real estate deals that are unprecedented there's going to be business deals yep. that are amazing but only for people that have cash right. to help bail people out that are overextended right. so you can actually serve someone so they don't just go bankrupt right and they end up with something Right. versus just handing it over to a bank. I mean, there's, but so I like the, the nature of having access to the money. And I just don't like being in IRAs and 401ks where it's all government qualified and it's all restricted till 59 and a half and it's deferral, not, you know, not tax free. What the other, one of the biggest comments that we get is life insurance is a terrible investment. And so what's your response when people compare life insurance to the market, to real estate, to your business, and they say, these other assets get you a better rate of return than the three and a half, four and a half, five percent rate of return that life insurance would give you. I mean, there's a lot to say there, but at least look at this as an asset allocation decision if you're an asset allocation person that's comparing right. investments. If you believe that you should have any level of money in bonds or a fixed income portfolio, why not have a fixed income portfolio that comes with a lot of benefits, right? Like a death benefit and tax advantages and no capital appreciation, like we just mentioned. Right. So even if you're saying that you're going to go invest and you're such a good savvy investor in these other right. areas, are you going to always be invested? Or are you going to be smart enough to be on the sidelines when things aren't good? Where are you going to store that cash? Yeah. So why not use this as a place that you funnel money in and out right. with those benefits from a tax perspective, a death benefit perspective, that permanent death benefit instead of having a term insurance that goes away. Because if you buy term insurance, only 1.1% of that ever pays out. Yeah, That's the plan, is that they phase you out as you get older by making it too expensive. And if you lose it when you're older, because yep. now you're like, I can't afford this anymore, I just had term and my assets are big enough, your assets become your insurance, yep. which means you're not going to have as much access to spend that money. Yep. You're going to be living off just the interest. What if interest rates go down? Yep. What if inflation's high like it is now? What if taxes go up, which you could easily do? You're now subject to three factors you have minimal control over yep. because you decided not to have insurance and your assets became your insurance because you don't know when you're going to die and maybe you don't want to disinherit your spouse. Yep. And that's that's problematic because you've now locked your money away. Yep. Um, what were the Rockefellers? It's a book that you wrote. It's taken off. Everyone that I everyone that I know that is like in the insurance space or has any pulse of these strategies have read your book. Why did you write it? How did you come up with the name? And what was the epiphany on to say like, there's a book here? I don't know if, I don't know if I've ever told anyone why I wrote it. I mean, a few people know, but I had this, uh, so I had a firm wealth factory 
We built this thing called the accredited network. In the accredited network, we had all different types of financial professionals, accountants, attorneys, investment advisors, insurance professionals. And we had a lot of different life insurance professionals over the years, some just because they couldn't handle the, the volume or they wouldn't design the policies based upon what's higher cash, lower compensation, or we just had people that were insurance people that thought that they could override and talk over the accountant or the attorney and it created some conflict. So one of the guys that ended up being in the network uh, was an old business partner of mine from one of my very, very first financial firm, Ingenuity, and his name Michael Isom. And so um, he was part of that network. But a couple other guys at Wealth Factory said, we want to create an insurance agency, left Wealth Factory, and Wealth Factory's like, well, they're right here down the street, you know, easy to work with. And so Mike was no longer really doing a lot with our clients. And I thought, well, I'd like to do something with him. Um, so we were hanging out in, in Vegas before, uh, like in between Christmas and New Year's one year and just talking. And I was like, what if, what if we wrote a book specifically addressing kind of the things around life insurance? So Mike and I are in Vegas just hanging out. We, you know, we'd travel together quite a bit. And friends, even though this kind of thing with Wealth Factory wasn't working out anymore. And so I was like, well, I have an idea. What if we wrote a book? And I, I was, then you went and spoke. And then you could use the book as a way to educate from, you know, mm -hmm. after you speak on stage, because I'd done that with Killing Sacred Cows. And so I just wrote this book to, to give kind of that education process around the cycle of insurance. That was the initial idea. So I was writing it. We were working with this guy, Michael Levin, who's a, who's a, a ghost writer. Um, and as we were writing it, I was like, I, I'm just not inspired by writing this book. And I was giving it some thought and I didn't really know what the title was going to be. And we we're making like tremendous progress. Michael was really, both the Michaels were great, but you know, and one day this whole notion of like, I look like Jesus and what would Jesus do? You know, people <laughs> joke with me about that because of the look and especially back then when I had less gray hair. And I was like, what would the Rockefellers do? Because wow. I was I was like uh, studying legacy stuff at the time and studying like estate planning. And I there was this woman that was part of the family office for the Rockefellers. And I was doing some webinars around the topic. And she's like, that's exactly how they set this up. And we started talking. And I was like, you know what? I should write what would the Rockefellers do? Which then took a lot longer for the book to, to be yeah. written. And at first we just printed like, I don't know, 7,500 copies or something, hardcover copies. Mike would speak on stage, hand the book out. I'd use the book to, yeah. to book him stages. And you know, it was, that, was, that worked for, for a couple of years. And then Wealth Factory didn't really love that system. Kind of created a little bit of like, yeah. what are you doing on the side and why not? And, uh, and Mike was working with someone else. So we kind of, uh, at that point, Wealth Factory started to really promote the book as like a way to generate leads for Wealth Factory. Yeah. And it kind of took off. Yeah. And then they, they put it up for sale on Amazon for less than 10 bucks. And then advisors started just buying the book and handing it to clients because there was no like, hey, here's my yeah. website or yeah. here's a call. It was just like, and so it started to create this life of its own because it's starting to educate the industry. Yeah. And I think the container of the fact that the Rockefellers had like six generations of wealth passing on and they were using life insurance as a way to replenish their trust was like so instrumental. And then I put legacy. So like 
the book went from being a hundred percent about life insurance to being like 60% right. about life insurance and 40% about all these legacy Which factors. made it all interesting because it right. brought it together. It wasn't just a life insurance pitch. It was like, hey, why you, you compare the Rockefeller family versus the Vanderbilt family and the whole concept of estate planning and the whole concept of life insurance, the whole concept of like multiple generational planning. And you then you talked about life insurance in a way where it's not just the benefits, pros and cons, but it was like, this is, this is how a family actually utilized it. And it was interesting. And it's hard to... It's hard to argue with, and I think the reason my advisors, you know, utilize it is the book is well written and is also it's a great story. Even if someone doesn't read it, it's like it's a great cover. It's like what would the Rockefellers do? Like that's a that's a it's a it's a legendary man. It's like as soon as the title came to me, I was like, uh, I was like, this is gonna be a lot more work. But the good news is, Stephen Dean, one of the writers at Wealth Factory, had been researching stuff about the Rockefellers. And so he started handing me that research because he's a good researcher. And Tom, the lead writer there, was like, oh, I know some stuff. So like, they were gathering information for me. And Sheila, the CPA yep. that worked within the Rockefeller family, like I just had this great access. And then some of the attorneys that I've worked with over the years knew about the Rockefeller methods and the Rockefeller plans and the estate yep. planning structures because of the, you know, Andrew, who, who I talk about in the book several times as an attorney, his, his grandfather was a prominent attorney around the people yeah. that worked directly with the Rockefeller family with their estate plan. So it's like, I had some pretty nice, you know, easy access to information yeah. um, that specifically about this one strategy that they were utilizing that anyone could do, even if you don't have Rockefeller money. Like I started when I was 19 years old. And that's what's I think really cool about that book is even though it's pretty tactical, it's not over anyone's head. It's yeah. not like, oh, you have to be wealthy. And that's yeah. the subtitle. How how to get, you know, how the rich get wealthy and how you can too, or yeah. whatever the sub, I should know the subtitle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, subtitles. Yeah. Um, as we as we wrap this up, any final words around cash flow banking, the end asset life insurance? It's, you, you said you started when you were 19, but if someone's watching this and they're like, they they're on the fence or there any questions is there any questions that they should be asking themselves trying to figure out if this asset would serve them or not i just did my 28th policy that one's on my wife hmm. so 27 whole life policies now i think it might be like 26 one term and one indexed universal life which uh interestingly enough that's because it's premium finance i think it's great i think we'll be able to see yeah. 10 years from now how oh, well I, i'm gonna i'm eventually gonna cash it out or roll it over i don't yeah. i don't plan on holding that to life transfer expectancy. it or 1035 it right I, I think eventually the cost of insurance will become problematic right if i want to use the cash or i have to say that i'm never going to use the cash and only like i feel like yep. that's an either or not an and yeah right that's yep. how i feel about it um there's people that get really upset if i say anything <laughs> and anything but positive about iuls but you know, <laughs> but for me, I, I like that there's a predictability, there's a consistency, there's an economic value to that certainty and that I know I could tap yep. into and utilize that. Like my wife loves having a lot of savings to feel safe yep. and I like having it in cash value. It's not a bank, which I don't feel really comfortable with banks right now, other than the government will probably bail them out. Like when they gave them $5.5 trillion and 08 and 09 so that they could then build more massive buildings and you know make money on the backs of taxpayers essentially um and take big bonuses so it, not that 
insurance companies are perfect or that there's not yep. issues because I don't agree with every bond that they hold. Or totally. Like it's, it's you know, it, but I like the container. I like the private contract. I like the benefits that come with it. I like how I could utilize it along the way. And uh, it's fine for people that hate it. I address that in chapter two of that book. I'm like, but Dave Ramsey hates it. I'm like, yeah, but you got to understand his mindset is all about reducing expenses. And he can only see this as an expense, not as a benefit. Because I've heard people calling me like, well, what if you just put more in it and it goes straight to the cash flow? He's like, why would you ever do that? Yep. It's like, well, if I could put a dollar in something and they give me back a dollar five, and I don't have to pay tax on that. Yeah. Oh, five, like, why? Yeah, I would want to do more of that. And you why could then you? recycle that dollar to do other things. Yeah. So, so I look at it as um, very useful, very practical, very predictable. Yep. Nothing too sexy. No. But you know what? It does. It makes my wife likes knowing that we have it. And You're not going to have any uh, crazy war stories that you'll be able to tell about the amazing nature of your life insurance, but the stories will come with how you use it. And I think yeah. the how is what will make or break you. If the how will be like what could it could be the difference between you losing money or you making a ton of money because it just comes back to the the and nature of it. So I'll just plug this before we wrap up this video. If you want to learn more just about life insurance in general, we have this thing called the and asset vault. And we actually have some of Garrett's content in there. We have a six part video series, our 61 page handbook and much, much more. If you want to learn about life insurance, would it be right for you? How you, how we design um, the different type of policies, you can go check that out. Any final thoughts or words? No, man. Um, the Thanks what for, would Jesus? What would Jesus do in this scenario? Like when it can I get it? Well, yeah, he would. He would. He would definitely. Uh, you know, take care of his people. That's right. That's right. Right. Like, I, I was watching Breaking Bad, and I thought that whole show happened because Walt didn't have life insurance. It's so fascinating. Think about it. If he has life insurance, he has cancer, and he's like, uh, I'm not going to leave my family desolate. But because of that, he ends up resorting to the most extreme situation that ruins his family's life it's all hypothetical because it's just a written show but i just my mind went there watching it i don't want to be blasphemous at all so i so take this with a grain of salt but i did i remember talking to one of my good friends and he, he was legitimately like serious he's like caleb if jesus was alive during the today he would be in life insurance. Like he was like so fired up and he had these all these reasons. And I, I looked at him, I'm like, okay, I think that might be a stretch. I think there could be more important things than selling life probably insurance. Probably still be giving a message. Right, right, right. I think, but he, the point was like, this is like, besides, you know, the gospel, life insurance is that that one-two punch. And I, and again, even for where I'm in, I think that's a little, little bit extreme, but I appreciate the passion behind that. Well, thanks for spreading the word, man. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and share this with the people that you know and love.